Okay, here we are again, back again, in the off-season. You ready? No. Why not? I don't know. You we're on vacation. I would like to point out we are recording while on vacation. Yeah. We're, we're dedicated people. Yeah. Whether this gets up bef- like the week of, we're, while we're still here, is going to be a mystery. Yeah, well, I mean. We're, we're recording during our vacation, but we're certainly not going to edit it. So, fuck future us. One of us doesn't have a cord for his laptop. Yeah, I forgot my charger. A little bit. So, we're just working on whatever we have right now. However, being that uh, Formula One offseason, pretty pretty good time to talk about 1983. I guess. Specifically, Nelson Piquet's 1983 year. But before we talk about Nelson Piquet's 83 year, can we talk about the fact that Perez got signed? Yeah, Perez got fucking signed to Red Bull, which and I think should have happened a long time ago. Albon got thrown in the trash because he deserved it. Well, he's the reserve driver. I do think he's season. trash. The thing that bothers me is that people are so quick to... Uh, Formula One fans in particular are so quick to say that they're, they're so quick to rush to Albon's defense. Why? But then when it was Pierre Gasly, they're like, yeah, fuck that guy. What, what is he doing? They don't give the right drivers the credit that they deserve. And Albon did not deserve any of the credit he was getting because he was absolute dog shit. The thing that pissed me off, Perez won a race. Albon still finished sixth. Which I'm... is consistent, but it's dog shit given that everyone else is in slower cars and you should have won a couple of races. And he hasn't won a single one. That was a rant. I just yeah. wanted to point out that yeah. <laughs> Perez got signed, but um, yeah. I agree Thank that Albon is trash. Sorry, bud. He's not listening. He doesn't give a shit about us. Yeah, that's okay. Fuck that guy. Yeah. So, quick recap of 1982. Since... Yes, please, because I don't remember anything. So, it didn't really go that well for him. In terms of points, he scored 20, as opposed to the year before when he was at like 50. So... He finished 11th overall in the standings. 1982 was one of the wildest years in Formula 1 ever. So 1982 will have its own year in terms of like the entire year. And that could be like three or four episodes by itself, which is crazy. It will not be. Do not worry. I'm saying it could be. It's not going to be. No. What I'm getting at now, he had one win in 1982. Nine retirements. Right. That was the year he got... Fucked by With his, his car, yeah. He had one did not qualify and one disqualification. That disqualification came in Brazil because of, you know the ballast tanks were deemed illegal mm-hmm. by uh, the FIA. Yeah. That was the recap. Okay. That was super quick. All right, the so 1983 season was 15 races long. Holy shit, we're going to be here forever. Maybe. Uh, and this is why, because we're going to go through the teams and drivers... In 1982 championship order. The same Guys, way Lord been, help me. The same way we've been doing it like the last couple of times where it's just like we take last year from like first to the very bottom and we just go through them. So this year we had Scuderia Ferrari who finished first in 1982. Wait, is it Scuderia or Scu- Scuderia? Scuderia. Scuderia. I don't like that. Yeah, the Italians don't say Scuderia or how'd you say Scuderia. it? Scuderia. They don't say I'm Scuderia. I'm pretty sure it's Scuderia. Scuderia. I don't like it. Anyway. And I'm like Italian. The 23 and me said so. Okay, so Ferrari were racing the <laughs> chassis 126C2B and 126C3. Those were the, okay. like the chassis that they were running. The Ferrari engine for that year was the Ferrari 021 1.5 liter V6 turbo. They were that on means good... nothing to me, just yeah. so we're clear. This is just for the people who are like super fans who maybe think I'm not like too detailed. I'm just like running through it. Whatever. Okay. They were on Goodyear tires all season, and their drivers were Patrick Tombay and Rene Arnoux. Okay. Yes. McLaren Ford were actually two different constructors that season. 
McLaren Ford for like the first part and then McLaren Tag for the rest of it. We'll get into what happened. They were running the chassis MP4-1C and MP4-1E. They ran the Ford Cosworth DFV, the common one that everyone was using. And they were also using the Tag TTE P01 1.5 liter V6 turbo. Okay, I'm going to try to keep those in mind. So one of them is a Ford engine, the other one's a Porsche engine. That's all it's, I need to it know. It was labeled a Tag engine because it, Tag Warriors, like this watchmaker that also does engine stuff. Yeah, they're a title sponsor for Red Bull now. So, like, if you look at them, it'll say, like, Tag Hoyer, like Red Bull or whatever. Anywho. Okay. Yeah. Ford engines for one part of the season, Porsche engines for the other. Okay. They were on Michelin tires all season. Their drivers... He, he, the little puffy Michelin The guy. little puffy guy, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wonder if they were rated three stars. Anywho, John... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that was highbrow. Okay. Anywho, John Watson was in the McLaren Ford for the first 12 races of the season. He was in the McLaren Tag for races 13, 14, and 15. Nicky Lauda, same deal. The first 11 races, he was in the McLaren Ford, and then the last four races, he was in the Tag. And 82 is the year Lauda came back, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He, he was persuaded out of retirement because A, he needed the money, and B, he kind of missed the sport. Because he couldn't live within his means. No, that's not it. Lauda's been pretty good with his money. He's just wanted more of it. Okay, I feel like if you went back to the sport for the money after you were already super successful, it's because you needed the money. When we get to drivers like James Hunt or Alan Jones or uh, like drivers who have come back for the money, I'll tell you that they've come back for the money. To my knowledge, Lauda didn't come back for the money, but the money certainly helped. I guess. So next up, we had Akeep Renault Elf. They were the Renault team. On Michelin tires, of course, all season. They're running the chassis R30C and RE40. Doesn't matter. Hey, hey, hey. E40. Yeah. What, how does he do it? Ooh. Or something like Can that. Can you never do that again? Yeah, anywho. Okay. They were running the Renault Gordini EF1 1.5 liter V6 turbo. Okay. They had Alan Prost and Eddie Cheever the entire season. Isn't it like Elaine Prost? Elaine Prost. Yes. Yeah. Because it's A-L-A-I-N. Yes. So it's Elaine. Yes. It's not Alan. We can call him Elaine or Alan. I mean, I'm American, so Americans say Alan. No, Americans say Elaine when there's an I. No, they say Elaine. No, they say Elaine. Okay. Because we enunciate our letters. (laughs) Well, I don't. Next up, we have Tag Williams. They were running the chassis FW08C and the FW09. Okay. They were running the Ford Cosworth engine for the first part of the season. Then... Honda actually came back the year before. They had come back running with like the Honda Spirit or the Spirit team or whatever the fuck. Okay. They had supplied engines the year before, not to Williams, but that got their foot in the door. Then they developed this V6 turbo. The engine was called the RA163-E, 1.5 liter V6 turbo. They were on Goodyear tires all season. KK Rosberg was the driver for the first 14 seasons in the Williams Ford, and then in the last race, he was in the Williams Honda. Mm. Same deal with Jacques Lafitte. <laughs> Lafitte. Lafitte. And then Jonathan Palmer, who was a doctor, uh, was in the Williams Ford for the 14th round. Oh, wait. Yeah. Pause. He, yeah. Was he like... He was a medical doctor. Like, he had a PhD. Yeah. Like, he could he, fix... He, he was like a, a medical... Bone. He was a physician. Like... Who was also a race car driver. I mean, that's pretty cool. I just feel like yeah. that's such a weird transition. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, he has a boatload of money. He owns a couple of 
racetracks in Britain. Of course he yeah. does. Next up, we have John Player, Team Lotus. They were, again, weirdly enough, another one of the teams that ran two different engines. So technically, they were two different constructors. For the first part, they were Lotus Ford because they were running the DFV engines. The second part, they were Lotus Renault. Now, the Lotus Renault was the same Renault Gordini, EF1, one and a half liter, whatever the fuck. The chassis they were running were the uh, 92, that was the Lotus Ford, the 93T, and the 94T, that were the Lotus Renaults, and they were on Pirelli tires all season. The drivers were Elio De Angelis for the first round in the Lotus Ford. The second round, all the way through the last round, were the Lotus Renaults. Nigel Mansell was in the Lotus uh, Ford up until the eighth round, and then from the ninth to the 15th, he was in the Lotus Renault. Benetton Tyrell, Tyrell as you would say, on Goodyear tires all season. The chassis they were running was the O11B and the O12. They were running the DFV all season. Their drivers were Michaeli Alboreto and Danny Sullivan. Okay, next up we had Phila Sport Brabham BMW. So Michelin tires were the tires that BMW, Brabham BMW was running all season. The chassis were the BT52 and the BT52B. So, yeah. Those were last season as well, right? The BT-52? No, they were running the BT-51 last season. Okay. We'll, we'll get to why they got new chassis and okay. stuff. The engine they were using was the same engine as last year. It was the uh, BMW M12-13, one and a half. Uh, it, was a, it was an inline four turbo. Meaning that it wasn't a four, so it wasn't like a V4. Right. You know, like a, you know what an inline one is, right? No. So pretty much, think of a pencil mm-hmm. and then have the uh, like the pistons be on top of the pencil, like shooting into it, as opposed okay. to them being like a V formation. Oh, so that's okay. what an inline is. It's maybe not as tight in terms of space. It's not the most compact. Right. But you get sort of better weight distribution, I guess, using an inline. I'm not entirely certain why BMW went with the inline. I couldn't really figure it out. Okay. But. That's the engine they were using. They had Nelson Piquet and Ricardo Patrese all season. Next up, we had Equipe Ligier Gita uh, that was running Michelin tires all season. Their chassis was the JS21. Their drivers were Jean-Pierre Gerrier and Raul Bossel, who I called Raul. <laughs> no, didn't I call him Raul? I, I think, think I called so. him Raul. You called him Raul. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Poor guy. Next up, we have Marlboro. Team Alfa Romeo. I butchered that first name. I've never been named. Marlboro? Yes. Mar- 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 Marlboro. Marlboro. Marlboro Red team. 100s. Yes. I know that. So it's Marlboro. Yes. Red 100s. They were on Michelin tires all season. Their chassis was the 186T. Their engine was a proprietary engine. They were using the Alfa Romeo 890T 1.5 liter V8. Okay. Notice that it's not turboed. It's just a giant engine. Um, that's going like to bite them in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Their drivers were Andrea De Cesaris and Mauro Balli. De Crasheris. De Crasheris. Ended yeah. up in the giant engine car. Yeah. We're not seeing a problem with this. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of money. Okay. We have Arrows Ford in the A6 chassis. They were running the DFE. Mark Schur was their, pretty much their only consistent driver all season. Great. Uh, they had Chico Serra who did the first race. He didn't attend the second race. But he was there the third, fourth, and fifth race. Mm-hmm. Alan Jones kept, came crawling back for the really? second race of the season. The yeah. guy who retired last season? Cause cause he, he was no, big... he retired in 80... 81. He retired in 81 because he's a big baby. Right. Then we had Thierry Bootsin, uh, who was there from the sixth all the way through the 16th race. Up next, we have ATS BMW. Uh, now, they moved from Ford last year to BMW this year, and they okay. were running the same... 
uh, M12, 13, inline four that Brabham was using. They had Manfred Manfred Winkelhock was their only uh, was their only driver. <laughs> His yep. name was Winkelhock. Mm-hmm. This poor guy. I'm sure he's fabulous. No, his son is remarkable. His son, uh, what's his name? Something Winklehawk. No, his son Marcus is the only driver in F1 to have led every race he's entered because he only entered one. And he entered the 2008 European Grand Prix, which was in the Nürburgring, like the GP circuit, not like the giant Nordschleife. And he led for like 15 laps or something like that. And then he retired. But he still holds that record. I don't think it can be called impressive if it's one race. Yeah, he was a stand-in. Because he was was driving for Spiker, and Spiker needed the money, and Marcus had it. Who the fuck is Spiker? Uh, They're a Belgian car manufacturer, like a very bespoke type of, like, boutique thing. They make, like, really ugly cars. And, yeah, if you can hear anyone up there, it's because we're in an Airbnb and we have people above us. We rented, like, the bottom. It's a very cute Airbnb, actually. Yeah. It's very cute, but... Um... Shout out to our Airbnb host. Um, yeah, up next, <laughs> Up next, we have Ocella Squadra Corsa, Corsa, however the fuck you pronounce it. They ran two different chassis again this fucking season. They ran the Ford chassis, which was the FA1D. And then they had the Alfa Romeo, which was the FA1E. They ran the DFE engine for part of the season. Okay. And then they, you know the Alfa Romeo engine that they were using, the V8? Mm-hmm. That was the new engine. Osella had like two-year-old engine that was the Alfa Romeo 1260 three-liter 12-cylinder engine. Which oh I would imagine was not very powerful. No. Because it's super old and everybody was going on to turbos. So... They had Corrado Fabi for the first eight races in the Osella Ford. And then for the last, from the ninth race through the last race, they were in the Alfa Romeo. Okay. Pier Carlo Ginzani was in the first, was in the Ford for the first three races. Mm-hmm. Then from the fourth, fourth race through the 15th, he was in the, uh, the Alfa. Next up, we have Ram March. Remember March with, uh, the Nazis pretty much. Remember? Oh, is he the one who... Max Mosley was, like, the owner, and he was uh, the legal advisor to Bernie Ecclestone. Max Mosley was no longer a part of the March team, but uh, they had a bunch of drivers. None of them really mattered. They were probably Nazis. We had spirit races. We're just, like, grouping all of the March drivers into one. Okay. I mean, I'm all for not loving Nazis. (laughs) Yeah, spirit racing, like I was talking about earlier, this was Honda's re-entry into Formula One. They entered in the ninth round, but they didn't make the 15th round. So they didn't make it to the last round of the, okay. the season. Okay, got it. Stefan Johansson was their driver. Now we had... Is that a woman? No. Oh. Stefan Johansson is a, is a guy. Stephanie? Stefan. Stefan. Stefan? Yes. Next up, we had Tolman oh. and Theodore. They came back. Bruno Giacomelli and Derek Warwick were with Tolman. Roberto Guerrero and Johnny Ciccato... For Theodore, didn't do a whole lot of research for these guys because A, they're back markers. Oh. And they don't really matter. I'm already getting like, this is already a lot of information. So the yes. Stefan guy, did he happen to look anything like Steph, Stefan Salvatore from, from Vampire Diaries? No, but shout out to Vampire Diaries and that Vampire Diary crowd. We have a pretty big Brazilian following. So if you're Brazilian and you watch Vampire Diaries, good for you. <laughs> 
Please DM me. I need friends, and I really like this show. Uh, that's me. <laughs> Fittipaldi folded after 1982, and Ensign folded after 1982. The only reason I put them in was because they were classified in 1982, but they didn't make it to 1983. Fittipaldi is... Was the really dog shit, like, Emerson Fittipaldi's brother, Wilson, had, like, started the team, and they convinced Emerson to come to it, and then Emerson did, and then nothing good happened. He only right. He like, three podiums in, like, fucking seven years or some shit. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's still better than some of the drivers now. Albon. Um. Albon's got like two podiums, two or three podiums. Shh. It's taken him too long to get him. Honestly, let me hate on him. Anywho, preseason shenanigans and the B fifty two. Oh, are we finally actually talking about eighty three? Yes. Okay. Well, we've been talking about eighty three. No, we've Colin been talking Chapman, about the technical specs of eighty three. We're gonna keep talking about the technical specs. Someone this, kill me. This is very important. I haven't eaten dinner yet, and I have a cocktail in hand. This is a mess. Colin Chapman, the founder of Lotus, had died before the start of the season. Aww. The ground effects revolution guy, the guy who had pretty much jump-started Sterling Moss's career, Jim Clark's career, um, Mario Andretti, Ronnie Peterson. Okay, the guy who was like Emerson super... Fittipaldi. You're just going to keep naming big names. You're name-dropping for the dead guy. Yeah, because okay. he was like the guy. If you talk, No, I'm sure he's yeah. amazing. I'm Well, was. Oh, well. And he wasn't. He was a huge drug Rip. addict who was kind of like... Um, a really shitty businessman. Oh, okay, well, just because someone does drugs doesn't make them not he amazing. Was, he was a... Let's not he did some really sketchy a deals. whole group of people, please. Yeah, we're really tapping into that drug addict market. Just so, oh, my God. <laughs> just so we're clear, we do understand that addiction is a disease. Please say that for me. Say that. I need you to say that for me. Addiction is a disease. Okay, get help. Please, people love you. You still didn't say the words. Say the words. Addiction is a disease. Thank you. We both agree that addiction is a disease. Ah. <laughs> and that we, we don't hate on anyone just because they're an addict. Disclaimer. Yes. Even if one of us says controversial things regularly. So. Okay. <laughs> now, practice also served as qualifying in the event that qualifying couldn't take place. If, say, for example, faster times were set in practice than were in qualifying, they just use the practice time. So they're like, let's just, whatever, it counts, Right. So, for example, if I was in practice and we were driving around Monaco and I my lap time was like a one minute and ten seconds on a Friday, and then right, Saturday then it rains, Saturday it it's like, like a one fifteen. They're just going to take the one ten, and that's my fastest time, and they'll just use those for like the qualifying. Okay. They'll take your fastest time from the two sessions, is what I should say. Okay. Yeah, because if you look at the times um, on any sort of forum, even the official one will have like Q one or Q two, okay. like part one and part two. That just means that they Friday and Saturday. That's what it means. So, this was to weed the grid size of 30, but only if the entry list was over 30. Right. So, a kind of wishy-washy rule. Just, okay, so it was like, if we have more that. than 30 people, we'll use Q1 and Q2, but if we only have, you know, 30 or less people, we'll only use Q2. Kind of. We'll what? get into it. Okay. It's kind of like pre-qualifying, but not really. They introduced pre-qualifying into some races because there were more entrants in some okay, races. Okay, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. The FIA, if we get there and I'm right, I'm going to be so upset. The FIA banned the contoured undersides of cars, meaning that, like, ground effect was pretty much banned at the end of 1982. Okay. So the really chunky, like, massive side pod cars were gone. Oh. And this left Brabham, which was super funny... They had signed the Concord Agreement in 1981. Right. Right. They were like, okay, this is where it's going to go. Brabham had three brand new BT-51s ready to go. With the... With with the ground effect. Ground effect. I almost call it side effects. Yeah. This meant that they had, like, what, six weeks to get the BT-51s re-engineered. Oh, no. Gordon Murray 
I'd have been so pissed. So, this led to the BT-52. Okay. Now, I'm going to actually have you come here and show you some pictures of the BT-52. Our setup is a little different. A little bit. I can't just see the computer, which is probably better for all of you. This is the BT-51. You can see it looks kind of like a catfish. Okay, yeah. Really wide. You can see these massive, like, flat kind of planes right here. Yeah, it looks like a... Uh, like a catfish. That's a really good description, actually. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, it's fat. Like you look at it, and you're like, this is a fat car. Okay, and the BT this is the BT fifty two. You can see, is sexy. isn't it fucking gorgeous? So I love that. Car. It's super slick. Can we buy one? Uh, they're only about four hundred thousand dollars. Great. So you can see, it kind of looks like a dart. So if someone wants to Venmo us about four hundred thousand dollars, that'd be great. Yeah, you can see right away the. Side pods are yeah, pushed really super far back. Yeah. Now, I'll talk to you about that and why that was. So the BT-52 was designed by Gordon Murray. <laughs> Gordon Murray, you don't like me calling him that, but he's like the daddy of like crazy Formula One, oh like God. design and engineering and stuff. Okay. And I'd like to great. point out this is the same man who calls like Hot Cheetos the daddy of all chips. They so. are the daddy of all chips. Anyone who doesn't agree, fuck you and fight me. Except for Funyuns. Funyuns are pretty fire. You can't have them though. No, I can't have them. I'm allergic to onions. Can't have so Funyuns. This is, this is what's hey, super that funny. rhymes. I'm allergic to onions. Can't have Funyuns. I'm going to be a right. poet. Well, I mean the last word rhymes with onion. You're just rhyming onion with onion. I'm rhyming onion with Funyun. Fight me. Gordon I'm Murray. genius. Gordon Murray threw out the old BT-51 designs and built the BT-52 from the ground up. I bet he was pissed. He did this in six weeks. Good for him. An entire car. Wow. Yeah. The car was not designed using a wind tunnel because he didn't have that much time, right? So do you know what a wind tunnel is? Mm, What they do, it's a giant building and there's like a, there's a conveyor belt. And what they do is they take a model of the car Mm -hmm. And they scale it down to maybe like two thirds. Okay. What they'll do is they'll uh, have a fan going and they'll blow smoke into the room so they can see the aerodynamics of the car. Uh, Gordon Murray was like, fuck that. We don't have the time. He so just, Gordon he just designed Murray a car. did it in six weeks, designed a car. He's amazing. Meanwhile, I've had 21 years. I'm still working on designing my life. Yes. Great. It was a bit of a lottery because wind, wind tunnels, even back in the day, however rudimentary they were, were like absolutely they critical. They worked, yeah. Yeah, they, no, mean, they were critical and crucial to a Formula One Well, they do something similar with like regular cars, right? To check like... Yeah, aerodynamics Like Because we for, we're renting a car because we drove up to Washington because we're traveling safely during COVID. And um, like we have a Kia Soul and it has a warning that says, like, it has a high center of gravity, center of gravity so mm-hmm. it could flip or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, they would need that, I would imagine, to check that, yeah. to see, like, aerodynamically mm-hmm. what well, I'm point. sure that's just because somebody somewhere probably yeeted, like, an old version of, like, a Kia Soul going, like, 90 miles an hour. And just, like, was like, oh, hey, 90-degree turn. I'm not going to break. That would be me. And so, yeah. There were a couple times on the trip that I was driving, and you were mm-hmm. like, can you just take the corner slower? <laughs> so... Since a lot of the downforce was stripped away with the removal of the side pods, you noticed that there wasn't anything right next to the driver. It was yeah, all no. pushed back. It was all just like... It, it, was, it was just sleek. It looked like yeah. a car. So Gordon Murray actually moved all of as much weight as he could to the back of the car. Okay. And this was in order to ensure that the car had as much traction as possible because a lot of right. the downforce was gone. Because I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do. But for those out there, when you... Uh, accelerate the car moves up mm-hmm. right yeah so you can feel it when you're you driving. can feel it yeah you can feel the car like pitch and all of that mm-hmm. and gordon murray especially was just, in a castle yeah 
And Gordon Murray was just trying to ensure that as much weight in the back, because Formula One cars are powered by the rear wheels, mm-hmm. the front wheels just do the steering, and right. in some cases, maybe all four wheels do the steering, we'll get into that later. Mm. Not like 1983, mm. they certainly flirted with it, but like the Mercedes cars nowadays have like, maybe like three or four degrees of steering. Of course like they the do. Wheels. Yeah. Anywho, the BMW engines were seen as grenades by the entire paddock. Grenades. Grenades. Like, they blew up a lot? Yes. Okay. They pushed somewhere in the region of 1,400 brake horsepower. This was reported, right? The dynos in the 1980s weren't technologically advanced, so it's actually estimated that it was near to, like, 950, maybe 1,100 brake horsepower. That's pushing it, right? The dynos couldn't really do anything more than, like, 900, maybe, like, 850. Okay, and that's... that's a lot That's a massive still. amount of horsepower. Because a normal car has Our what? Our Kia like, Soul's got like 150 horsepower. I was going to say, I don't recall ever ima- seeing a car commercial where they're like, can we give you 1,200 horsepower? No, the only real cars out there that are giving you that much power are cars that need the downforce. So like the faster you go, the more pressure is going over the car. Right. And like if you're aerodynamically like sound, then you can use it's that like to your airplane. advantage. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aerodynamics, the four- about the only science I understand. Yeah. The four-cylinder engine had a tendency of blowing up, or well, that's why they called it a grenade. Because, remember, 1982, PK had nine retirements, and a good majority of them were because of the... His engine just kind of, like, yeah. poofed. Refueling was utilized to a further extent. It was now seen as a strategic option, as opposed right. to just coming in and... Wasting time. And wasting time, because... Uh, Ricardo Patrese did it in Austria in 1980. And he did really well. And he did really well. Because the fuel tanks now were pushed behind the driver. Like they had the driver's seat. They had a little wall of like carbon fiber. And then they had the, like, they had the tank. No thanks. Like the gas tank. No thanks. This was better than like Ford and the GT40. They had the, like the tanks right next to the driver. Like they had them in the door. I see. I thought it would be worse in the back, but I'm actually seeing the benefit to the back. And that scares me. Yeah. So the cars ran underweight to get through uh, half distance, and then they'd come into the pits, right? Okay. So Gordon Murray was designing the tank to only make it through half the race, so then they could the drivers could come in, refuel, and then get through the rest of the race. So it would be like like the old Beetles had the engine in the back and the trunk in the front. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there were only two street circuits in 1983, and Gordon Murray like measured how long it like the entire race distance was, and he designed the gas tank to only make it uh, through the street races on one tank, so they didn't come in because Gordon Murray didn't see the point in having them refueled in the street races. Right. So the tanks were small enough to only make it through the street races. Everything else on purpose purpose built circuits. He's like, all right, you can just we're refuel. gonna have to refuel. Yeah, <laughs> this is really funny. I was we're, I was telling you about 1982 how Gordon Murray was designing hoses and pressure pipes and all that. Okay. Gordon Murray eventually settled on like three and a half inch like massive pipes to handle the pressure. Okay. Because the amount of fuel that they were pumping in under pressure was so massive. Oh. Right. There was an enormous amount of pressure being used mm-hmm. to fuel the cars. This was now getting fuel into the cars at a rate of 33 gallons in under three seconds. That's so 10 gallons crazy. a second. Yeah. Massive. When I go to the gas station, it takes like 10 minutes to get a gallon. Yeah, and those are under pressure. That's the thing. Oh, my God. Like, it's crazy. So, not only was it super dangerous, this is how ghetto the setup and the rig was back in the day. There was a guy, the guy that connected the fuel hose and the guy who released the fuel were two different people. So, the guy That seems like a bad idea. So, very. There wasn't just like a button that they pushed on like the, the handle. They couldn't get it to work, right? So, what happened was... They, Gordon Murray tried designing as many like different complex systems to make sure that they were both in sync. 
they ended up settling settling on eye contact. So once the hose was in, the guy who was putting the hose in looked up at the guy who would pull the lever and the lever would release the fuel. Wait this was super dangerous okay. because there were lots of fires. As that... like the most socially awkward person in existence, I make eye contact with like six billion people a day. Yeah. On accident. Yeah. If my job was literally like, don't make eye contact or it could kill you, and all you know I would do is stare at that guy's face. You know face. what's really funny? If I were that person, because I'm very socially awkward, the most dangerous and like unpleasant thing for me in that position would be to look at someone else, not like the fuel queen, <laughs> like 33 fucking gallons in three seconds. Yeah, no, I don't give a shit about the fuel. I'd be like, oh shit. Tire warmers, I don't know if you've seen, but nowadays in a modern like Grand Prix, you'll see like the tires covered with something. No, I haven't but, seen. Okay. Anyway, when a tire, when like... There are these things called tire warmers. What they do is they get the uh, rubber. They're like hand warmers for your tires. Yeah, what just to get them up to the optimum temperature. So, in order to do this, do you know what an old school like British telephone booth was like? The big red ones. Yeah. Yeah. I've Gordon seen Harry Murray Potter. pretty much repurposed that to be an oven. And what he did was he stacked tires in there to get them to the optimum temperature. So by the time they got to the car, they were ready to go, and the driver didn't really have to like. But the fight optimum as much temperature to... is going to be like really hot, right? Yeah. So who has to handle those tires? The the mechanics, which is why they started using like oven mitts. It was really cute. That's kind of adorable. But yeah. The tires were so delicate that once you overheated them, there was no going back. Yeah, the compound no. would just, you know, it's not like nowadays where you can go like maybe 50 degrees over. Like it was like super precise. I feel like you shouldn't be able they to don't, do that. But the tires are They're made like, to do that now. Right. So here's a quick quote from Gordon Murray about designing the BT-52. Oh God. So quote... I invented the race rear end with the B-52, which a year later everyone copied. To make, to make the car simple to work on, the engine, the transmission, and rear suspension were built up as a module of the car. I decided that we'd make it so self-contained that all the liquids were in there as well, something we backed away from in later years. This meant we could set up the rear suspension off the car in the workshop and actually run the engine to go through the gears and check the clutch. So we had everything completely tested, race rear ends, intercoolers, radiators, everything waiting to be mounted in the back of the tub. This meant that our guys were finishing at 6 o'clock in the evening at the races, which really pissed off everybody else who had to you know, still work. Oh. So the, the 52 was basically a front end module, a rear end module, and the tub in the middle. Right. Now this was an interview that Murray did with motorsport writer Keith Howard in May of 2005. Mm-hmm. The dart-shaped body helped helped improve aerodynamic gains. So the giant rear wing that you saw was just mm-hmm. to claw back a bunch of that downforce. Right. Um, and they removed the you know thick side pods that mm-hmm. made the cars just super chunky. Another quote. <laughs> Little challenge. Another quote that I think you'll like because it's super funny. Gordon Murray is talking about like the process of designing and how he managed to do it in six weeks. Right. Quote. The BT-52 was designed in a haze of drugs. We had about three months to do it, so I got some pills from the doctor to keep me awake. And that's it. This guy was like, I need all of <laughs> the drugs Adderall. Literally, and he's now. like, okay, no, I believe you. <laughs> Honestly, that's how I got through a lot of my tests in high school, so good for him. This takes us to the first round. The 13th of March, 1983, Hakarapawa, Brazil. Kailami was pushed to the end of the year. At, like the last race of the season. Typically, okay. it had been the first race of the year. Now was the last one. Oh, so Brazil was moved off? up the first. Huh? Who'd they piss off? Probably Bernie. Okay. 
In qualifying, Rosberg in the DFE was first. KK Rosberg. Kiki. Kiki. Next up was Prost, Tambe, and PK was in fourth. Okay. Patrese was seventh, so not too bad, mm. not too great. Okay. The turbo engines were the ones to have, and Lauda was down in ninth, and he was the second non-turbo car. Okay. So, but so it was like so it was Rosberg in first, and then all the way down in ninth was so Rosberg next. was just like showing off. He was like, oh yeah, Rosberg I don't was even a phenomenal need the turbo driver. He was really quick. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. I don't say showing off in a bad way in this instance. No, and when you're a driver, your instinct your job is, is to, to show off. off. Your job is to like whip it out and put it on the table. Literally, and say, this is what it, it is. It would be like a humble actor. Like it doesn't work. Yeah, not at all. In the race, PK won his home race again. Remember last year he got disqualified? Oh. I still count that shit as a race win. <laughs> he earned the fastest lap on the fourth round. So the new wow, BMW okay. engine was proving itself to be super resourceful. It was really early on in the race too, so you know that motherfucker was under fuel. Right. <laughs> Rosberg was thrown out of out of the race after he was given a restart in the pits during the race. Wait, how? Let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> His car caught fire. What? Yeah. So he jumped out. But the, fire, but the fire was over like that. So then he got right back in, oh. and the car was pushed, and that's how he got his disqualification. What? Yeah, so... The guy's car was on fire, he got out, he got back in, yeah. and he was ready to go. Could you give him a minute? Lada capitalized on his race pace, and he ended up finishing third. So, Lada was a great racer, but right. he was a great qualifier. Which we talked about before with his yes. other seasons. Lauda yeah. was very, very good when it came to actually... He seems like a driver who is better with like like a long-distance runner rather than like a, yeah. like a sprinter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're like, because, oh, who was the guy who was really good at qualifying and shit at races? Oh, the French guys from last year. Yes. Uh, Rene Arnoux, uh, Patrick Tambe, and Elaine Prost. Yeah. Rene, uh, Rene well, Arnoux. Elaine Prost wasn't terrible. Elaine Prost, yeah. I think Rene Arnoux should have won, I think, 81. No, Rodeman should have won 81, mm-hmm. and then 82. Arnoux should have won 82, but it was uh, taken away from him. And Prost, because the Renaults were really unreliable. So. Right. But, I mean, like, they were clearly much better at, like, using the qualifying cars than they were at mm-hmm. using their long, like, the, longer race cars. Yeah. So, spoilers, by the way. Alan Prost ends up moving to McLaren. And okay. he's... He joins Nicky Lauda. Okay. Right? So, Nicky Lauda's his teammate. And Nicky Lauda's, like, pushing 40 by this time, right? Right. Lauda's old. Lauda's old, but he also passes on this sort of idea and this philosophy of setting up your car for Sunday because that's when the points are given. Right? Yeah. You can qualify Sunday's first. Sunday's what matters. Sunday's what matters, right? So, yeah. you could be 10th, but if you win the race, you win the race. Right. So. And it's just like you can be first in qualifying. Yeah. But if you don't win, you don't get points. Normally, there's this sort of idea and this, like, these this mantra that people look at Formula 1 drivers and say, oh, well, he's not the fastest. Right, you don't They're need like, to be well, the fastest. You, you need to just... be the most reliable. Yeah, for me, I would rather have more wins than pole positions because pole positions don't matter. They help, but they don't yeah. really matter if you can just overtake someone on track. It's like like yards ran in football. Like it mm-hmm. looks good, but unless you're the person you who's making the touchdown, it doesn't matter. Your yeah. job is to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Right, and so Patrese had an engine failure, which you know, kind of shitty, but he Patrese. I don't want to, you know, spoil anything, but he got the short end of the stick this year with reliability. Okay. The standings look like this. PK leads with nine points. Okay. Lauda is in second with four points. Okay. Lafitte is third. Lafitte. With three points. Mm-hmm. Tombe has two points. Mark Scherr has one point. For those of you wondering why there's no person in second place with six points. Yeah, why is there? KK got thrown out. 
KK oh, finished second, so but he KK was disqualified. KK was going to be second, but then they mm-hmm. disqualified him, so he didn't get his points. They, and what's really ass. weird is that this, they disqualified him, but then didn't move the rest of the yeah, group Yeah, I feel up, like they should have moved everyone up. Dumb. If KK yeah. was Kike, I'm never call- going to say his name Kiki right. Palmer got disqualified in free. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. When you first brought up like Kiki Rosberg, Kiki. I thought you said Kiki yeah. at first. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, Kiki Palmer. And then I was like, wait, no, this is Formula One. Yeah, and he's like super German and not black at all. So it's like, oh. yeah. Awkward. This takes us to Long Beach, the 27th of March, 1983. Not Palm Long Beach. Beach in California? Yes. Okay. Long Beach. It's in California. I'm working yeah. on it. It's in Los Angeles. I knew that. In practice, as I said earlier, Alan Jones came crawling back after not having raced since 1981. What a Little bitch. bitch. Yes. Nelson Piquet was definitely 20th place in qualifying. Patrese was 11th. I, I just, I, oh, Piquet. Yeah. Alan Jones was a place behind Ricardo Patrese, and he was 12th on the grid, which isn't terrible. No. But, you know... Not I mean, that great for, for someone a guy who's like 12,000 years old. He whined yeah. after he didn't win a championship. You know, Alan and... Jones, I think, was only about 26 or 27 when he won his championship. So he wasn't old by any means. He was just past it. He was past John prime. Watson, but he was quick. I mean, to be 12th on your return he in was a shitty car. beyond his prime. Yes. John Watson and Nicky Lauda were 22nd and 23rd, respectively. This is going to come into to play because John Watson actually ends up winning the race. From twenty oh, second on the grid. Good for him. Yeah, with Lauda right behind him in second place. Oh, okay. Ricardo Patrese had a distributor problem, but he still finished tenth. I mean, that's good. PK's throttle failed on him, and he oh, retired. PK. Uh, the Venezuelan driver uh, Chicado, Johnny Chicado, mm-hmm. scored his first points ever in Formula One. Aww. And he actually scored the first points for any Venezuelan driver. In Formula One ever. Wow. He was the first. The second was Pastor Maldonado. I don't remember when he scored his points, but oh. Pastor holds the record for like the first Venezuelan to ever win a Formula One race in 2012. But anyway, Jones being the little pussy bitch that he is, retired on lap 58 like a little baby bitch because he was fatigued. Oh, wait. He literally was like, guys, I'm sleepy. Guys, I'm tired. That's me, though. There were... That's me at work. I get halfway through the day. I'm like, can, it was I, a, can I just go home? It was nap? a 75-lap race. And he retired on that 58. He literally just needed to he go was, for a little was, longer. He was, he was almost, almost there. there. He was what? Fucking, I don't know how to do math. What is that, like 13, 13 more laps? I feel like his issue was either A, a 16, hangover, or B. Probably hungover. Or B, he realized he wasn't going to place. And he didn't want his first race to be him losing Without retiring. But it's even worse that he retired with fatigue. Like but at least then he doesn't have like a loss. Like his place doesn't look bad. But he it does. Reti- no, no, no. I, <laughs> I get what you're me saying. Out. 100%. Yeah. Okay. But like it also could have been a combo of both. Guy probably had a hangover. Yeah. That was like his, a party. He liked his beer. Huh, same. The standings no. look like this. I don't like you beer. don't really like beer. You're I more like tequila. A, yeah, I was going to say, you're more a distilled liquor kind of person. Like tequila. Yeah. Specifically. Or Honeycrisp Vodka from Bellwood Acres. Yeah, shout out Bellwood Acres. Sponsor us. It's amazing. Lauda now leads the championship with 10 points. He was up one place from the last race. Mm-hmm. Uh, PK and Watson are in second place with nine points apiece. Okay. Jacques Lafoot is in uh, thir- fourth place with six points so, and then Rene Arnoux follows with four points. But Watson is ahead of PK, right? Because he scored his points. You know what's weird? This pissed me off because every single official record place that I went to look, like the Formula One website or 
um, like anywhere else on the internet, has Watson behind PK. But which Watson really scored his me. points the right? soonest, no, like no, the most the the most recent. Thanks, yeah. I can which word. I agree with. So if it were if up to me, if that's how it's been every other season, why change it? I I don't know. I couldn't find a reason, and it bothered me because I had a note here, like Dr. Kimberly, about the weird like. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even need it. I pointed no. it out. <laughs> so okay, this takes us to Paul Ricard. It's the third race of the season. It's held the seventeenth of April, nineteen eighty-three. Okay. In practice, both of my parents were alive. That's so weird to me because that was like six billion years ago. Yeah, my mom was like six. My mom was seven. six too. I don't know how to do math. Wait. Our moms were born in... 76. Oh, my mom was born in 75. My mom, my mom's year changes from 75 and 76, so... <laughs> she picks and chooses. We'll meet in the middle of the day. <laughs> so, uh, in practice, this is funny. I'm sure this is a record of some sort. Ferrari managed to go through eight engines in just the first practice session. How? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine that? An engine costs, like... $85,000 in 1983, they just pissed fucking half a million dollars away. More than that. They pissed like a million bucks away in like a day. I. That's a record, I'm sure. Uh, in qualifying, uh, Patrese lined up third. It will be with, closer to three quarters of a million, by the way. Yeah, I can't do math. That's okay. Patrese was third, and PK lined up sixth. Prost and Eddie Cheever were first and second. Okay. Prost was two seconds faster than Eddie Cheever. Wow. Prost yeah. was going for it. In his home race. Oh. Elio DeAngelis was sixth, and his dog shit teammate, Nigel Mansell, was 18th. The reason I call him dog shit is because I personally think Nigel Mansell is a bit of a princess, but he won a championship. I mean, He's... Jones is a giant princess, too. Yeah, I, but, like, Nigel Mansell's, like, seventh or eighth of, like, all-time wins. He's got, like, 30-something. It's, like, a massive amount of wins. I think he I needs to be a princess. I respect Nigel Mansell, but, like, we're in 1983. Nigel Mansell complained a lot. He was a princess. In the race... I don't know why he dates me, you guys. All these traits that he, like, complains about in these drivers, I have, and I'm getting a little worried. Yeah, but I love you, though. In the race, Prost won the race. His home race, right? PK lined up second, and Ricardo Patrese retired with a water leak. I'm sorry, with a what? A water leak. There's probably, like, a water hose or something that just ruptured. <clears throat> and he couldn't just tape it? Oh, yeah. Are you just going to pull the engine cover off and fucking tape it mid-race, babe? You could pull into the pit. Don't be an ass. Anywho... The Williams pair was 5th and 6th, which, okay. not too bad. This means that PK now led the championship on 15 points. Mm-hmm. Nicky Lauda was 2nd. He had 10 points. Okay. Alan Prost, who had just won the race, was now 3rd with 9 points. Okay. Moved up ahead of John Watson, who was also on 9 points. And Jacques Lafitte was down in 5th place with 7 points. This or lead- Lafitte. Or Lafitte. This leads us to the 4th uh, round of the championship. The 1st of May, 1983, we're at San Marino again in Imola, okay. the principality in Italy. Thank you. Yes. I always <clears throat> forget where Imola is. In qualifying, our new was on pole position, which is great for him. Patrick Tombe lined up third. Nelson Piquet was second. And Ricardo Patrese lined up fifth. Manfred Winkelhock in the ATS was seventh. And seeing as they were only running one car, that was exceptional because yeah. he was like a place away from the points. Right. So, in the race... Because PK is a fucking phenomenal world champion, mm-hmm. he sold his car. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were gonna go somewhere like super cool with this, and you're like, and he fucking sucked. Yeah. So he made up some places before he retired on the 41st lap because he had an engine failure. Was the engine failure his fault or the engine? BMW. Fault? Okay. Yeah. Ricardo Patrese had an accident and he finished at last. 
Patrick Tambay won his first race in front of the Tifosi. It was a great first race to win because not only did he do it with Ferrari, but the Tifosi, I don't know if you know what they are. They're like uh, they're like the Ferrari people, pretty much. Oh, okay. So they call the, the, the Tifosi the people who are like avid Ferrari like fans. Okay. Um, if you go to Italy, the Tifosi will be like all everyone in the grandstands were there only for Ferrari. So Patrick Tambay was driving for Ferrari, right? Okay. And if you win for Ferrari, you're a hero. But if you win in Italy with a Ferrari... But not for Ferrari. No, he, he was with Ferrari. Wait, what? He was driving for them. What? Yeah. Okay, wait, keep going. Then you're like a god. Uh, because you're like... I thought we were going Not only are you driving this. a Ferrari, not only do you have the privilege of driving a Ferrari, you also had the privilege of racing and winning for Enzo. It was an all-French podium, believe it or not. This is one of the few instances in Formula One where the podium had everyone on, who was on the podium be of the same nationality. Weird. Yeah. And actually, excuse me, it was also the last time in Formula One that the top three were all the same nationality. Wow. This is what the podium looked like. Patrick Tambay, Alan Prost, and Rene Arnoux. It was all French. They sound super French. Yeah. And what's really funny, they're like racing in Italy. And you know what's even funnier is everyone... Tommy and Prost raced for Ferrari. Rene Arnoux didn't race for Ferrari, but he should have. This was also the last race win for Patrick Tambay. Oh, yeah, poor Tambay. Yeah. The standings looked like this. Alan Prost now took the lead, but he was matched with PK, who hadn't scored any points. They were both on 15 points. Okay, but in this situation, because Elaine won his... I'm just going to call him Prost. Yeah, because Prost, Prost won his points most recently. He's ahead of PK. But that wasn't the case in the other situation. That wasn't the case. It was really okay. weird. Yeah. Okay. Great. We love Patrick that. Tambay lined up third with 14 points. So another really close championship. Watson and Lauda were on 11 and 10 points respectively. Okay. The fifth round of the championship season. We're a third of the way through the 15th of May, 1983. We're at Monaco. Qualifying was rain-soaked. So nobody was able to set a better time than practice. Meaning that... The practice times, the practice were, the times were, were the ones that were used. Yeah. Great. Nelson Piquet was down in 16th, but Patrese oh. was down in 17th. Oh. Or excuse me. Nelson Piquet was down in 6th, but Patrese was down in 17th. Oh. Because he didn't set a time. Oh. <laughs> Patrese. <laughs> yeah. So. Buddy. This was a pretty lackluster race. Um, a wet start saw like a tire gamble again. Right. Um, from every team. Williams mm-hmm. tried slicks mm. and it paid off. Really? Yeah, because... Did the track dry out? Yes. Okay. Yeah, this was one of the instances where, like, it didn't rain afterwards. Oh, so okay. they didn't have to pit because they were already on the right tire. Right, but everyone else pretty much had to pit because they were on the wrong tires. Yes. Okay. Nelson Piquet later finished second again with Rosberg winning the race. Ricardo Patrese retired because he had an electrical problem. Oh. Meaning the standings looked like this. PK took the lead on 21 points. Prost was up second with 19 points. Tambay at 17. Rosberg 14. Watson 11. Okay. Pretty lackluster race. This takes us to Belgium. Uh, the 22nd of May, 1983. This was held at Spa. Now, Spa is the current like Belgian GP. That's okay. the, the racetrack that they race at now. This was the first race at Spa since 1970. 
and it was also like the modern circuit. So the iteration that they were using back then is the one pretty much that they're using on like now, okay. except for like a couple of changes. Okay. And they were like very minor changes, but right. The old spa was super dangerous. It was like 15 miles or some shit. Like you literally drove through a town, like a bunch of people died. Oh, of course they did. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we talk about it. In qualifying, again, the practice times were used for qualifying because uh, it was another wet session in qualifying and nobody improved their times. (laughs) Sorry. Prost took pole again. Okay. And Tombay lined up second. Andrea de Cesaris was third in his Alfa Romeo. Good for the crash. In the V12, mind you. Or no, excuse me. In the V8. Naturally aspirated eight-cylinder engine. PK lined up fourth with Patrese being sixth. Manfred Wunkelhock again was seventh. Was I just, super exceptional I can't in the ATS. Stop with his name. I just it's so weird. You want me to call him Mansell or Winkle? <laughs> we'll call him Mansell. <laughs> okay. Manfred, excuse me. Can we just call him Winklehawk? We can call him Man. Or Fred. Could we just call him Winklehawk? Yes, we'll call him Winklehawk. Because I like In the race, the race was aborted by the FIA right as the lights went out. Wait, it was what? It was, like, stopped. Like, it was aborted. Like, the the race was, like, stopped, pretty much. Why? Oh, you're going to tell me. Sorry, jumping the gun. The Chesaris yeeted himself in the first place <sighs> as, like, the race was aborted. And he battled with Prost because Prost also, like, jumped the gun. But this was an FIA problem because they fucking didn't communicate right. The marshals managed to put an end to the battle pretty quickly because they were like, dude, like, red flag. Like, we're not doing this. So, the grid reformed again. They did another formation lap, and it decimated the refueling strategy of a couple of the teams. Yeah. And Mark Schur had to start from the pit lane because he had, like, fucked up his race fuel strategy. They filled him up with fuel, and he just, whatever. This meant that Ellen Prost actually took another victory. Wow. Good for him. Okay. PK fell down the order towards the end of the race, and he finished fourth. So he could have had a podium, but he didn't. Ricardo Patrese retired on the opening lap with an engine failure. So his engine blew out again. He's having a bunch of mechanical failures. None of these this are his problems. Like, I feel bad for him. Yeah. This meant that Alan Prost now has a championship lead with 28 points. Okay, good for him. PK is second with 24 points. Patrick Tombe has 23 points. KK Rosberg is on 16. And John Watson is on 11. Now, we are back in the United States. Hey. The 5th of June, 1983. We're at Detroit. Wow. Motor City. I know, right? Motor City. Whatever. The, the thing that pissed me off is they didn't just stick to a continent and then race and then move to another continent and race. They, yeah, like, they're back and went forth. from, like, the United States to, like, Imola and then from Imola to some, like, fucking Monaco and then from Monaco to Spa and then Spa to, like, Detroit. So it's, like, logistically, I'd be fucking shitting my brains out. If I worked in DHL, I'd fire everyone <laughs> because it's fucking stupid. I don't think DHL was shipping the cars. No, but they're doing it now. But I'm saying, like... If, like, DHL was up. Like, it just bothers me that they're... The DHL they just... equivalent of 1983. Yes. Which actually might have been DHL. Probably. Or Penske. Whomever. Detroit oh. had a dog shit track surface that didn't favor any particular turbo car before qualifying. No, it's Detroit. It doesn't favor anybody. Yeah. Or, you know, their motor industry. <clears throat> the oh. Lap, the lap times were about 25 them. seconds slower in practice than they would be in qualifying. Which is crazy. Yeah. So... In qualifying, Brene Arnoux took pole ahead of Piquet, who was second, with Patrese all the way down in 16th. Oh, yeah. Patrese. Poor Patrese. In the race, <laughs> late in the race, 
on lap 51, PK came into the pits because he picked up some de- debris and his tire was fucked, right? Damn. Like, his tire was just, like, completely disintegrated. He lost the lead and ended up finishing fourth. He was a minute down on the leaders. Ricardo Patrese had a brake failure and he retired. However, Michele Alboreto picked up the pieces and won his second race for Tyrrell. Okay. With Rosberg and Watson second and third. Okay. This was an all-Cosworth podium in America. So they were all naturally aspirated cars, right? Detroit was very windy because it's a street circuit and they were all pretty much like 90 degree corners and the turbo line right. was and so Right, and Detroit that... has like higher altitude, right? I'm not entirely certain actually. I don't know why I didn't do that research, but... Oh. I don't think Detroit's very high up in terms you of like elevation. It. Give it a goog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you know, you know. This was the last win for Terrell ever in Formula One. This was their 23rd and final race win. Mm-hmm. This was the last race victory for the DFV and naturally aspirated engine victory of the entire season. Okay. So no other naturally aspirated cars would ever win a race in 1983. Jumping the gun a bit. Spoilers, by the way. Somebody please kill me. <laughs> Detroit, Michigan. This is funny. Altitude. That explains why it said Chicago, Illinois at first. And I was like, no, Detroit, Illinois. Guys, I, I, I don't. Please stop. It's at 656 feet, so... That's not very high up. Kyle Lamy was like 3,000. Okay, yeah, that's not very high up. But I also like grew up basically in Seattle, which is 175 feet above sea level, yeah. so... That's you high guys are like at sea, though. That's the thing. Yeah. You can't really be that high above sea level when you're right there. That's true. The Tyrell 011 was Ty pretty Rell. much... Tyrell uh, 011 was dog shit throughout the you know three races it was driven because they used it for so long. Right. 1983, so far, had the best finish of fifth. And it was okay. by Danny Sullivan in Spa. Mm-hmm. Alboreto and Sullivan had three retirements apiece for 1983 mm. so far. Okay. The standings now looked like this. Alan Prost still led with 28 points, but PK was right behind him with 27. Okay. Tombe was right behind him with 23. Rosberg was behind Tombe with 22. John Watson was behind with 15. So, realistically, John Watson, if he wanted to, could win the championship statistically, but probably not going to happen. Yeah, poor guy. This takes us to the circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Canada. 12th of June, 1983. Gilles Villeneuve. Yes. Okay. This is the one where Gilles, like, kicked it, right? No. No? He died in Zolder, babe. Belgium. Last year. And he's the guy who, like, yeeted himself up and over and, like, down. Mm, He was... God, what was his name? Jochen Mass. It was out of Butte Corner. So what happened was they were both, like, on the racing line. Mm -hmm. And then... Gilles went Jochen Mass. No, Jochen Mass and Gilles both moved right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, and then... Gilles was thrown out of his car because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Mm. Yeah. This guy. Okay. No, wait. Ex- forgive me. I think his seat was the one that was ejected because the survival cell now included the seat. Yeah, it was so his seat. It was his whole seat. His helmet came off is what I was trying to get at. In qualifying for uh, Canada... Rene Arnoux took pole ahead of Prost by only, like, it was less than a tenth of a second, so okay. there was nothing between them. Piquet was third, and Tombe followed, and then it was Patrese in fifth. 
Okay, so all Man- of our main guys are doing good. All of the main guys are doing great. Manfred Winkelhawk, again, in his ATS, was seventh phenomenal qualifier. Mm-hmm. Um, the FIA kept dropping the ball because there was a faulty light rigging, and it caused the race again. start to be delayed by 40 minutes. Didn't this kill someone before? Yeah, Ricardo Paletti, rest in peace. Okay. Uh, Rene Arnoux won his fifth race. And Nelson Piquet retired with throttle problems, and Patrese, in good faith, just also retired. Uh, Patrick Tombe finished third, and Alan Prost finished fifth. Okay. Meaning that Prost now led with 30. Piquet and Tombe were both on 27. Rosberg was on 25, and Rene Arnoux was on 17. So is this... Is this Prost's year? Is this the year that he wins? No, it should have been. What? 1982 and 1983 should have been his years. Oh, okay. Yeah. That pisses me off. This takes us to Silverstone on the 16th of July, 1983. Not the same as Yellowstone. What country are we in? Britain. Great I knew Britain. That. Yeah. Great. Fabulous. They, Silverstone Fabulous. held the first motor race of Formula One's like career ever. Oh, okay, much. okay. Queen Elizabeth was there. That's right. You told me about yep. that. Ricardo Patrese and Nelson Piquet in qualifying for Silverstone were 6th and 7th. Prost, now the new championship rival, was third. Okay. In the race, Piquet managed to climb up to second, uh, Mm. and that's where he finished, and Patrese retired on the ninth lap with the turbo failure. Oh my god. So, again, we'll get to the stats at the end of the the year, but it's pretty bad. Prost won the race, meaning that the standings now look like this. Prost had 39 points. Okay. Piquet had 33. Mm. Tombe had 31. Rosberg, 25. And René Arnoux had 19. Prost had a six-point lead over Piquet. Okay. This takes us to Hockenheim in Germany, 7th of August, the Nazi 1983. Track. Yes. Well, two. Uh, this is the 10th round of the season, so we're, what, two-thirds of the way through? Two-thirds, yeah. Thank God. In practice, <laughs> there were a bunch of teams that held, uh, how should I say, like, practice tests, pretty much, like, practice days for drivers okay. to, like... Find out which driver was going to be, like, the next driver to get a race right. seat. So, what were they called? Like, it was just a testing day for drivers. Whatever. Okay, great. Sterling Moss was given a test drive at Silverstone in the three weeks leading to the race. Mm-hmm. Now, Sterling Moss was born in the 30s, to my knowledge. I think he was born in 1929 or, like, 1938 or something. So, he was old. He was in his 50s. He was... Yeah. So, BMW paid Moss to take just a couple of laps around Hockenheim. Or, okay. Or, excuse me, Silverstone, right? Because this was, this was in Britain. Mm-hmm. Moss was... Beloved. So, Sterling Moss took the BMW money, and he wore his retro 1960s, like, open-faced helmet because he wasn't, so cool. he wasn't in any real danger because he wasn't pushing the car or anything. He was oh, just driving no. around. Oh, no. No, he's fine. Don't worry. He didn't, oh, like, die or anything. I thought yeah. you were going to be like, yeah, no, he made a bad decision, and um, we talked about no, it. No, no, no. Sterling Moss died last year in 2019. Oh, my God. Oh, it's been 2021. And, Literally. But he, it was just a little curious, okay. no, because he tested okay. for Bradley. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm only adding it in here because it was with Brabham and PK's driving for Brabham. Right, right, right. Ayrton Senna, future world champion, would also test for Brabham. He also tested for Williams, and he set the fastest time in the Williams. He was like half a second faster than KK Rosberg. Wow. He was offered a race seat for 1984 by Brabham and Williams, but Ayrton Senna elected to take the race seat with Tolman, who would be like... What? Because he didn't want to just like have that pressure on him, like from the jump, you have to start winning races. Because yes, he was quick, but he could be like our new and fuck shit up and shit the bed every time at the race start. You know what I mean? He wanted to develop his craft before he really moved up. That's a story for another day because it's a different driver. Okay. So in qualifying, qualifying was again wet. 
So the practice times were the ones that were used to set the grid. Okay. This resulted in Tambe taking another pole position, PK was fourth, and Alan Prost was fifth. Oy. Patrese was eighth. Oh. In the race, PK had a bad start and dropped down to fifth, but he was up to third again by the end of the first lap. Okay. Because again, being underfueled helped right. a lot. With three laps left, PK's engine expired and he retired but went on to finish 13th. Oh, okay. I mean, that's not bad. Because he had finished over right. 90% race distance. Patrese took his first podium of the season because he finished. Rene yeah, Rene Arnoux won the <laughs> Finally. race. And Andre de Cesare slid up second. Prost I'm surprised he didn't crash into second. Yeah, well, he probably did. Um, Alan Prost now held a nine point lead over Nelson Piquet, so it was a whole race win. Yes. We're rooting for the wrong driver here, babe. You're supposed to be rooting for Piquet. No, fuck Piquet. Yeah. He won. He's fine. Alan Prost, no, Piquet retired. Uh, retired. He won a season. Yes. Okay. Already. My God. Team. Okay. Are we talking about PK? Yeah. Alan Prost had 42 points. PK had 33. Tombe had 31. Arnoux had 28. And KK Rosberg had 25. Okay. There were 45 points still on the board remaining. Mm. This takes us from one Nazi track to another. We are now at the Osterreichring. That uh, one just sounds so much more Nazi-ish. It's Austrian. Like, it's, the, it's the Reich at the end that yeah, gets me. It's actually right in the middle. Literally, it's Osterreichring. Oh, it's yeah. one word? Yeah. Osterreichring? Yeah. I don't like that. This race, which was the 11th race of the season, was held the 14th of August. Patrick Tombe and Rene Arnoux took the top, top two spots again. Okay. Um, it was the 100th pole position for Ferrari okay. of all time. Mansell was third. You know, good for him. Mm-hmm. Piquet was fourth. Alan Prost and Patrese were fifth and sixth. So okay, that's so everyone's the... pretty like in line. Yeah. In the race, towards the end of the race, Nelson Piquet's BMW engine began to lose power and he, have, he fell behind the top two finishers. Meaning that he was leaving, the engine cut out pretty much, lost a lot of power. He ended up finishing third. Prost and Arnoux ended up being the top two positions. So Prost won the race again. Okay, so now he's two... Race 14 well, points. Has, okay, 14 ahead. points ahead. This was the last race win for the Works Renault team. Now, Works just means that it's like the constructor who's competing. Right. Right? So, like, Mercedes is competing now. They're the Works Mercedes team. If you wanted to classify this way, you could say that Racing Point is, like, the B team for Mercedes because they're using Mercedes parts. Right. Whatever, whatever. The standings now look like this. Alan Pross had 51 points. Again, 14-point lead. PK was down in second with 37 points. Arnoux had 33, Tombe had 31, Rosberg still had 25 points. Okay. There were 36 points left on the board, mm-hmm. which takes us to Zandvoort in the Netherlands. Not Vansort. No. Okay. Yeah. The 28th of August. PK took another pole position. Well, he took a pole position. Yeah, I was going to be like, another. Hmm. Tombe, DeAngelis, Prost, Bantel, and Patrese followed in that order. Okay. So, good for DeAngelis. And good for Nigel Mansell. Yeah. In the race, Piquet had a great start and led on the first lap, but he pitted. Of course he did. And he still came out in the lead. What the fuck? <laughs> you can't do on that On lap to me. 42, Prost began chasing Nelson Piquet. Okay. He went on the inside of Piquet mm. at the entrance of the Tarzan mm-mm, corner. Mm-mm, mm-mm, Prost mm-mm. had wheels on the dirt. Mm. Nobody got hurt. Oh, you keep setting it up like someone's getting hurt. Do I? That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Oh. So Prost had wheels on the dirt, and when he braked, you know oh. what happens when you brake on dirt or like 
you know, when you brake on like ice or whatever, the car begins to spin. So what happened is that as Alan Prost braked, his car pretty much just went pew. Oh. And he ran into PK. Both of the drivers were out and they retired, obviously. Oh. So Ferrari finished 1-2 with Arnoux taking another win and Tom Bay in second place. Okay. This was the last career win for Rene Arnoux. Really? Yes. Does he retire or is he just bad after this? We'll get to that. Okay. Or wait, maybe he dies. Oh, no, God, he doesn't. He died. Reason. He's still alive. Oh, God. Yeah. Thank God. Oh. He's just old. I think he's like 73, 73 or something. Uh, bonjour, Mr. Arnoux, if you're listening for whatever reason. I don't think you are. But... All right. He's French. Eh, high in French. Hap. <laughs> I tried. The standings now look like this. Alan Prost, still the leader, the leader with 51 points. Okay. Rene Arnoux moves up to second with 43 points. Okay. PK and Tombe are both on 37 points. KK Rosberg is 25 points. There are 27 points left on the board. Mm-hmm. Technically, Rosberg down in fifth could still win the championship if nobody else finished. Which, as we've seen, this does not it's happen. Not, it, nope, not going to happen. This takes us to Monza. Okay. In Italy, the 11th of September. In practice, Williams finally rolled out the FW09 rocking the new Honda engine. It's going to be a very fruitful, pretty much, relationship dynamic okay. for the two of them. BMW in qualifying had this sort of fuel experiment that they were running. Mm-hmm. And the new power boost helped them out a lot because obviously Mons is a very demanding, like, high speed circuit. Unsubstantiated rumors had it that the recipe that Gordon Murray was using for the BMW. Or should I say the BMW engineers were using for their engine was an old Nazi recipe. I could not find anything to back that up. That's unsubstantiated. Uh, there's no... I Like I said, I couldn't find any evidence. I don't think it's untrue, but I don't think that it's entirely 100% true. I think... I think there are remnants because the Nazis did a bunch of shit. And I think it's fucking awesome. But I don't think hey. that it was like... not. I'm in the sense of like aerospace travel and stuff. Mm-hmm. Not like burning stuff. I think that it's... Sorry. Wow. I think that it's possible that a lot of German records were burned because they did start burning things before a lot of camps and things were liberated. Yeah. Much like, you know, Hitler. Uh, They just kind of burned him. I'm not going to say rest in peace. Fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck Hitler. But I just thought it was a cool fact that BMW might have been using an old Nazi recipe. The fuel, the fuel regulations stated that the fuel inside of a car, inside of the Formula One cars, had to be similar to road-going cars. So they had to be very similar in composition. They had to be no higher than 102 octane. Right. Octane is the measure of fuel performance with a base of petroleum. Mm-hmm. More on this when we, sh- when we reach the last race of the season because okay. it gets very important. Oh, bad. So the power boost aided the Brabham team and Patrese to his first ever pole position, and Patrese oh. was ahead of the a Ferrari pair of Patrick Tambay and Rene Arnoux. Good for Patrese. PK was fourth, which, not bad. Mm. Prost was behind in fifth. Oh, so, Prost. In the race, the first lap saw Nelson PK jump up to second, right behind uh, Ricardo Patrese. Mm. Nelson PK was mobbing through Monza, and on the 20th lap, he got a fastest lap, because obviously, you right. know, all the power... When PK was due for a pit stop, Lauda stopped, leaving the McLaren box, and he was in PK's spot, right? So pretty much what happened was he, like, stalled, but because there was still a bit of momentum, he, like, stopped in the Brabham pit. Oh, no. And what happened was 
Bernie and a few of the Brabham guys gave Lauda a push start, and Nikki Lauda left the box as soon as PK came into the pit lane. That's terrifying. Which, he entered the pit lane and he had a smooth stop, there was nothing wrong. Right. I just think it's sort of, like, endearing, because Nikki Lauda had driven for Brabham, and it was like the team owner was helping his ex-driver, like, go. That's nice. I also think that it's, like... That could have been a very bad situation very quickly. Yeah. Well, PK would have, PK race would have been fucked. Like, not Lauda wasn't, you know, really... No, but I mean, like, that could have turned into, like, a really bad crash mm-hmm. if it had been, like, two or three years earlier when people weren't as, like, on top of making sure these things yeah. happened quickly. So, Nelson PK went on to win with Arnu and Cheever behind. Patrese retired on the second lap. He had a engine failure. God damn it. Yeah. Prost didn't finish the race. What? Prost did not finish the race. What happened to him? He just didn't finish. Why? I don't know. I Why? I actually don't know. I Why? Don't, I didn't look it up. Why? The standings looked like this. Prost still led with 51 points. Yeah, because Prost is amazing. We love him. We do. Rene Arnoux was 49, had 49 points, so he was in second. Okay. PK was third, 46 points. Patrick Tombe had 40. KK Rosberg, cute self, still had 25 points. No. Yeah. He wasn't retiring from any of the races, mind he just you. Wasn't he, just, he wasn't scoring points Aww. because he was in the DFE. Yeah. But he was arguably the fastest, like, naturally aspirated car. This was the 30th win for Brabham. Okay. Yeah. This meant that there were only 18 points left, and it was a four way battle for the championship. Okay. Meaning that Alan Prost, Rene Arnoux, Nelson Piquet, or Patrick Tambay could win the championship. Okay. Yes. This leads us to. Brands Hatch in Great Britain, the 25th of September okay. of that year. And this is race number... 14. Okay. We're, we have one more race after this. Okay. In qualifying, the first 14 positions were taken up by turbos. Okay. K.K. Rosberg in his Williams Ford was 16th. Mm, and he was great. the first non... Like, he was the first naturally aspirated car. Mm-hmm. So, all of the spots... Up to K.K. Rosberg's were just oh my God. all turbos. DeAngelis took his first ever pole position. Okay, good for him. Next up was Patrese, Nigel Mansell, Nelson Piquet, Arnoux, mm-hmm. Tom Bechever, and But Patrese's doing better. Yes, okay. because he wasn't retiring. Oh, um, yeah, well. In the race, Ricardo Patrese took the lead from DeAngelis, and he led on the first lap. Mm-hmm. Piquet took third place from Nigel Mansell on the second lap. Elio DeAngelis tried to eat himself on the inside of uh, Surtees' corner behind oh Patrese. It's like the third to last corner or something mm-hmm. on the track. Uh, he ended up not having enough space to clear the gap, which super common when you heat yourself on the inside of a corner. Yeah. His car spun and he clipped Patrese. He... Patrese retired, didn't he? No, he continued, but oh, Patrese that's... retired. So Nelson Piquet went on that's to take... That's what an... I asked. What? I said Patrese retired, didn't he? Oh, excuse me. Patrese continued. DeAngelis retired. Okay, thank you. Yes. So, my bad. Nelson Piquet went on to take another victory. Okay. Prost and Mansell finished on the podium. Okay. This was Nelson Piquet's 10th victory of his career. Mm. He's into the double digits now, which is phenomenal. I guess. Patrese was down in 7th from the damage he sustained with DeAngelis, given he, granted, he was leading, he would have won, and DeAngelis being a fucking idiot that he was. I'd have been so mad. This is why he wasn't world champion, but, you know, rest in peace. Oh. Um... Alan Prost still led with 57 points. Okay. Nelson Piquet was two points behind him on 55. Mm, no. Rene Arnoux, 49 points. Tom Bay was on 40. And KK Rosberg, cute self, still with 25. So the only people who win now are... Prost. I will get to that. So there are nine points left 
the only people that can win are Rene Arnoux, Nelson Piquet, mm-hmm. and Alan Prost. No, oh, it's almost like those are the exact same three people I was going to name. Yeah, well, you jumped the gun a lot, so... I literally was a second before you were. That's not jumping the gun. Don't lie to me. This takes us to the 15th round of the championship in Kyalami, which was going to be the first race, but it wasn't. Okay. They moved it back. Right, because somebody pissed off Ecclestone. Yeah, (laughs) allegedly. Uh, Theodore Racing was no longer participating in Formula One. Okay. They money troubled. They were a backmarker. Of course. It happens. Yeah. This brings us to the fuel that Brabham was using. The BMW developed their quote-unquote road fuel. Mm-hmm. They used a hydrocarbon that was called, bear with me, methylbenzene, right? Okay. And I'm not a chemist. I'm not going to begin to tell you guys what that is, but that's what that's the base of what they were using. Okay. And the reason they used methylbenzene is because it burned quicker and it created more heat when it was used. So when you were getting your bang from your internal combustion engine, you got more of a bang. You got more heat. Meaning that the more heat, like, you push the piston with more power, meaning that there's more power going to the crankshaft. Which is both a good and bad thing, I would imagine. Yeah, but the engines were... I wouldn't say fragile. I would say that if... It was a more dangerous setup. More dangerous. Much more. This was akin to, like, flight fuel. Mm, that's not good. Yeah, like... We don't like, like that in fuel. cars. No. It was more efficient in terms of, like, heat transfer. Right. Like, when you talk thermal efficiency, it was... Very, very efficient. But it costs $300 a liter. That's not cost efficient. No. That's, okay. $300 a liter. Let me repeat that. <laughs> $300 a, a liter. A liter smaller than a gallon, no? Yeah. yeah it would okay. be like half of that. 300 bucks. Oh my god. Wow. No, this is a liter. Yeah. I think. $300 for that. Can you oh no, this that? is two liters. Yeah. Yeah. Half of that. No thanks. That would get you through like maybe half a lap. Can you imagine that? Mm-mm. Yeah. So, Mm-mm. and it was also deadly poisonous on top of just being super expensive. Well, we love that. In qualifying, Patrick Tambay took another pole position. This was his last race for Ferrari because he got fucked by Ferrari. How? So, for whatever reason, he would be replaced by Michele Alboreto. No, oh, it's almost like replacing Perez. Yeah. Okay. So, the, the thing that was really interesting for me is that Rene Arnoux was... Not performing as well in 1983, mm-hmm. but Enzo Ferrari still chose to go with replacing Patrick Tambe in favor of Michele Alboreto. If it was up Weird. to me, I would have replaced Arnoux right. because Michele, you'd have a much stronger with team. Michele Arnoux, Arnoux, I don't think he'd won a single race. Yeah. yeah. Now, another thing that was really weird is that Patrick Tambe was wildly popular with the Tifosi. Obviously, he won in uh, Imola right. Right, for Ferrari. It was that his first year. race win that year. Yeah. The reason Michele Alboreto was chosen, however, was because he was a phenomenal racing driver. The stuff he was doing in Tyrrell, like, warranted pretty Probably. much. Yeah. He, it warranted, like, a front-running position, okay. right? Like, a front-running drive, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Alboreto was pretty much outdriving his car. Now, this is very common. A lot of drivers who outdrive their car, like, say, Gasly is outdriving his Alphatari. Yeah. But if he were to be put in a Red Bull, he wouldn't do well He'd because, be, yeah. you know, it's built for Max, mm-hmm. right? Max isn't outdriving his car. Mm-hmm. He's just having a car built around him. I think that's a very important distinction to be like, yeah. made. Whereas, for example, Perez was outdriving his car. Mm-hmm. Gasly was outdriving his mm-hmm. Alphatari. Carlos Sainz and, like, Nando, uh, Nando 
Lando Norris. <laughs> Nando I was going to call him Nando. I've got a buddy of mine on Instagram whose name is Nando. Lando Norris. They're out driving their cars, right? right. They're both driving in McLaren. Sainz is going to Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, Ricardo's taking his seat. Ricardo shouldn't have a drive, but whatever. Um, <laughs> historically, if you're out driving your car, you're like the big dick guy, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure for you to perform. Mm-hmm. Michele Alboreto would, would go he on to was, perform, yeah. but he wouldn't win a championship with them, with Weird. Ferrari. Yeah, he should have, but Ferrari didn't give him the equipment. Mm-hmm. So a big thing is if you're moved into a front-running team, it's now that team's responsibility to nurture the driver. Right, to make sure you have Both drivers, not just the one driver, right? Right. The way Red Bull's doing with Max, they don't have that solid lineup of that second driver is there to get points when you need it. Mm-hmm. So do what you will with that information. But PK lined up right behind Patrick Tambay mm-hmm. um, in second. Next up, we had Ricardo Patrese in third, Arnu and Prost. Okay. On the race start, Tambay shit the bed and PK took the lead. Now, on lap 35, Alan Prost comes into the pits. Mm-hmm. Not for a pit stop. His turbo expired. No. And he retired. No. So. So Prost is out. Yes, he's out. Of this retirement, Nelson Piquet didn't really admire a whole lot of his contemporaries. He didn't view any driver as like sort of like talent pretty much. Of course he didn't. He he didn't hold them to the esteem that like say fans hold. Yeah. However. Egotistical. Reflecting on the 1983 season. Nelson Piquet said this, quote, It was not Prost who lost the championship, he told a bunch of French reporters post-race. It was Renault who threw it away. Okay. So, so it was the one time that Piquet wasn't actually a giant. Dick. Nelson Piquet saw Alan Prost for the talent he was because that should have been his year. Right. So he retired from the race. Nelson Piquet only needed a fourth place to win the title. Mm-hmm. And Patrese went on to win the race. Followed by DeChesris and Nelson Piquet in third. No. Yeah. Piquet scored four points, and with that, he beat Alan Prost by two points to win his second world title. I hate that. And that's the end of the 1983 championship. I hate that so much. Uh, let's talk stats. Let's do that. Of the 15 starts, Nelson Piquet had four retirements, which was a 26% retirement rating. That's a quarter of the races. Right. It's not terrible, but... Mm. Super common back in the day. Mm. He had three race wins. Brazil, Italy, and Brands Hatch. Uh-huh. Finishing positions, not counting retirements. He had three first places, three second places, two third places, and eight total podiums. He was on the podium over, over half of the, the entire which season, is which is 53% of the, of the year he was on the podium. He had two fourth places and a 13th place. And everything else was a retirement. Um, so, you know, not terrible. Mm. Next we get to his teammate, Ricardo Patrese, who had 10 retirements. Oh, Patrese. 66% of the races he retired <laughs> from. He got the shorter than, short end of the stick. Yeah, he got the, the crappy reliability. No, they were on the same car, but like his How? car just retired. Why? More because, well, it's like when you roll a dice, you're not going to get the same thing every time, right? Yeah, like if, you, if I give you, if I roll the dice and then I give you that same dice, what are the odds that we're both going to land on like the same number, right? Well, if we're talking a two-sided die, it's going to be pretty good. No, six-sided, babe. What? No, but this isn't six different cars. That's fair. They're driving two different cars. Yeah, but, but imagine, the this, imagine this. All of the engines are hand-built, right? 
all of the suspensions are hand built. The margin for error was a lot greater back in the day. Which I understand, but I feel like if you're looking at PK, who's having a shit ton of... I mean, in this case, you're just saying it's luck that he's winning. No, I'm saying he didn't have the retirements. He got lucky that he didn't have mechanical failures because mechanical failures back in the day literally swung championships. Right. But if you have that many mechanical failures, you have to start looking at the driver and not just the car. Mm, I mm, I don't think so. Okay. I disagree. No, but okay. Yeah. He had one race win, and that was Kyalami, which okay. was the last race of the season. Right. Which is good. I mean, if you're going to win, at least go out with a bang. Yeah. In terms of finishing positions, he had one first place, a third place, a seventh, a ninth, and a tenth. Now, Patrese had an averaging finishing position of sixth. Without the retirements. Okay. Nelson Piquet had an average finishing position of two second on the grid. Okay. Meaning that, you know, he was going to be on the podium a majority of the race. Right. For Alan Prost, he had three retirements. Mm-hmm. So 20%. He had a, the more reliable car. Right. And he had four wins. Prost had four first places, two second places, one third place, a fourth place, a fifth place, a seventh place, eighth, and eleventh. Okay. However, his average finishing position was 3.6. Hmm. Which, right? Weird. But that's because he scored, he finished in three positions that didn't, like, how should I say, score points. Mm-hmm. So, they're pretty much like DNFs. Like, they don't, right. they're, they're on your record, but they don't matter and they actually hurt your record. So, mm-hmm. that's another reason why. And so, that, that wraps up the 1983 World Championship. Pretty... Pretty devastating, not gonna lie. That hurts. I hurt yeah. for Prost. I hurt for Prost too. I want yeah. him to win. I was uh, listening to the Beyond the Grid podcast with of the episode they did on Alan Prost mm-hmm. and uh, Will Buxton, who was the presenter. Right. Like interviewed him. He's like, "Dog, you should have won like nine championships." <laughs> and Alan Prost was like, "Oh, he's like, I don't know about nine, but definitely 1982 and 1983 and 1984, which we'll get to. Oh God. But we're not gonna get too much into detail of 1984 and 1985." Because as far as PK, concerned, as far as PK is concerned, they don't really matter because great. when PK had to defend his championship, he kind of shit the bed. Yeah, a lot of that had to do with Bradford's reliability. Mm-hmm. However, 1984 and 85 are going to be their own episode, so we can get straight into 1986. Okay, because 86 is the year that he heads to Williams. Spoilers. Okay. That is super fruitful because the next year he has a great year. Mm-hmm. 1988 is not a good year. 1989 is not. not a good year. Of course. 1990 not. is not a good year. Wow. And he retires in 91. Fucking so fine. We're going to get to his last championship and then we're kind of going to breeze through the the rest of his years because after 1987 it's whew, straight downhill. Great. Yeah. Yeah, he spends a bit of time with Lotus and then he like what? goes to Benetton. Yeah, I don't know. What the? F- this was back when Lotus was still like. Oh, in this good. championship. <laughs> I wouldn't say good, but oh. <laughs> they were there. Okay. So, yeah, follow us on Instagram at Jonathan.SanchezOrtiz. At Kimberly with a Y underscore Ellie with an E-01. It'll change eventually, guys, I promise. Yeah, hopefully. Again, we're still <laughs> trying to get the Instagram thing set up. We're going to figure out how we're going to do that. We're both technically not advanced people. No, so not in the slightest. A and I've got a, we both got like other projects to work on So too. many other things. Yeah. We work a lot. So we'll get to it. We will definitely be setting up the Instagram within the coming weeks. By the end of next year. Definitely. By the end of this year. By the end of next year. This year, homegirl. How many days do we have in this like year? Like five. We have three, two, 
I don't know how to count. How three many? days. If yeah. you don't count today. Or if you do count today, we have three days. So we have two days. Wait. Three. No, three we days. We have three full days. Wait. 72 full hours, babe. You know what? I can't count. Anywho. Yeah, we will definitely be getting this set up in the next like week or two because it is not going to take that long. But By the end of January of next year. I don't want to give them high expectations. I want to give them realistic expectations. Just fucking just follow us. Please. On Instagram. Please. I need the validation. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a mood. No. Um, yeah, we'll see you guys for the next episode. It's going to be 1984 and 85. Blended pretty much clumped together. together. And we'll be talking about why, because PK did not have that great of reliability. Of course um, he didn't. He had some wins. Don't get mm, me wrong. Okay. But, Yeah. Anywho. But overall, PK kind of sucked. Okay, great. I'm glad we could agree. We will be seeing y'all next year. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a whole year. Oh, yeah. Well, stay safe.